Welcome everyone to today's webinar on airport chaplaincy. Uh, this is an interesting sort of second installment. The lab's very first webinar was on airport chaplaincy way back when in 2018. Uh, and so I'm very glad now to have more colleagues in the world of airport chaplaincy and that they are here joining us today. Let me say a few words on behalf of the lab and then uh, we will get started. So first of all, like most of our events, this is being recorded. And so if one of our guests makes a point and you and you miss it, or you want to review it or whatever, or if you have to leave early, don't worry about that. You will get a link to that recording and you can watch it uh, whenever is convenient for you. We also have all of our webinars as podcasts. So you can subscribe if you would like that on whatever platform you happen to use. When you get the, the link to that recording, there's a little bitty survey in that email. Please just spend 30 seconds or a minute filling that out. I know everyone is inundated with surveys, but I'm going to ask anyway. That helps us plan for future events and let us know how we are doing. And then finally, I want to thank our sponsor for this webinar, which is Interfaith Chaplaincy at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. We're going to hear more about that in a moment, but we're very grateful for their support of today's event. So let me introduce our guests, and then I will hand it over to them. Uh, first, and this is just alphabetical, we're joined by the Reverend Canon Jonathan Baldwin, who is chaplain at Gatwick Airport in uh, in London or outside London. We're joined by Reverend Greg McBrayer, who is the chief flight controller at uh, American Airlines, uh, chaplain at Dallas-Fort Worth and runs Dallas-Fort Worth Interfaith Chaplaincy. Welcome, Greg. And then finally, Pastor Marika Myring, who is chaplain at and I looked it up. Apparently, it depends where you are in the world, how it's pronounced. But I'm going to say Schiphol Airport uh, in Amsterdam. Hopefully, that's close enough. Uh, but we're very glad to have all three of you with us uh, this afternoon here for us, the evening for two of you. Uh, so, Jonathan, let's turn to you first. We'll hear a little bit about how you ended up doing this work and what uh, uh, an, a not unusual day looks like for you at Gatwick. Well, yes, it's a good start, not an unusual day, because uh, every day is different, I think, in most airports. Uh, I was ordained later in life. I had a first career as a, a banker working for Lloyd's Bank and uh, then studied at Chichester Theological College when I think I was about 34, 35, 36, and had uh, my first parish as a curate and a deacon in Crawley, which is just the town south of Gatwick Airport. And then I uh, went down after the second year as a priest, so only two years in that parish, to Shoreham-by-Sea. And unfortunately, Shoreham-by-Sea, I think now 10 years ago, uh, hit the news because we had a terrible air crash. And I've been working at the airport uh, since 2002. I did six years in the parish in Shoreham, and then, uh, my vicar left after four and I was there as a curate uh, waiting for a new vicar to be appointed and it stretched on about 20, for 20 more months. By that time I'd been offered a parish which actually didn't want me so that was fine and I went to see the bishop and he explained everything. Their loss of course. Um, but anyway at that, that time we have a church newspaper, a national one uh, called the Church Times and the advert came up for the chaplaincy at Gatwick. Well, I've always loved flying and loved going abroad since I was at school and went on three or four school trips. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll, you know, just in between looking for a job, as it were, uh, and got 
luckily got uh, shortlisted and then went for the interview and I got the job. And that was uh, now 21 years ago. So I was uh, offered the job as the lead chaplain and there since its inception in 1973, so it will be 50 years old next year, that Gatwick Airport chaplaincy, uh, there's only been four Anglican lead chaplains. Um, Michael, Father Michael was the first one, uh, God rest its soul, and he then was preceded by Stuart, uh, who did seven years after Michael's 15. My predecessor did six, and then, so I've, uh, I'm the winner. I've been there 21 years, and every day is different. And I expect Marika has been having the same sort of problems as we've had at Gatwick overnight, last night, loads and loads of snow. So lots of delayed flights and lots of frustrated people. And I know the guys working outside on the airport have been really working very, very hard. Um, there's sections of groups of workers and they have sort of nicknames. And one of them is polar bears. And polar bears drive tractors, you would believe, and multi-hogs. And early on in, in my time at Gatwood, we did have rather a snowy winter. South coast of England doesn't get much extreme weather, but uh, I went out working on the air side because the pass allows you to go all over the airport at a high level, the red pass, and most lead chaplains aim for that pass. So I went out to Effort Ops and offered my services, knowing having worked, walked into the from the town where I live into the airport, took me two hours, lots of people wouldn't be able to get there. So I thought, right, I'll go airside and offer my services. So I was given a broom and a shovel. And my job was for nearly half the shift, brushing the snow off the, the, the actual vehicles uh, to keep them going back out and doing all their work. So then the next couple of years, they introduced polar bears. And this was the training course for actually moving with the machines, uh, a John Deere tractor and the multi-hog vehicle, which would be dispensing all the uh, chemicals, uh, the non-icing chemicals. So I did all the training and I was there principally as a backup. If it really, really did get very bad with snow and then I, I could walk into the airport like I've done before because other people wouldn't be able to drive there. But I've never worked on a shift because the workers at Gatwick would be paid and I wouldn't deny somebody earning money, but I've always been there in the background to help them. So that's just one aspect, which I'm not sure that Greg would have had in sunny Atlanta <laughs> to uh, actually clearing away snow, but I know you have snow, but uh, so that's one aspect of my job, which is a little bit different. It's that okay? Yeah, no, the, I was struggling to get the video back on. We're all having technical difficulties today. Right. Yeah, thank you very much. And I have to say, I was I was really interested to hear that Gatwick has only had what four lead Anglican chaplains or Anglican lead chaplains. I would think that you would be in the majority there for reasons yeah. that are obvious, but I guess not. <laughs> Fifty years old next year, and only four. Mm. Greg, tell us a little bit about Dallas, where I hope you don't get too much snow. If you start getting a lot of snow, something's very wrong. Well, I can tell you this. I've spent, I've been in the airline industry uh, for 45 years. I'm a flight controller by profession. That's what um, 
I do it American Airlines every day, but I go there as an ordained priest and sit on the, on the bridge that, that runs the largest airline on earth. And I, I spent many years in Pittsburgh, um, almost 30. And um, the worst winter I've ever experienced was in Dallas two years ago when the power was out for two solid weeks and uh, it was below zero and uh, there was no way to manage it here. And it was the worst winter I'd ever seen out of uh, almost 30 really bad winters in, uh, in Pennsylvania. But you made reference, uh, Jonathan, I did. I grew up in Atlanta in the airline industry. I learned to fly when I was young, wanted to be a pilot, had some health concerns, ended up becoming a flight controller. Um, I worked in that world and I have for my entire adult life. And then in 1993, I heard God's call, uh, went to school, started serving in the church, uh, worked in that world um, in the Pittsburgh area um, for years until they uh, went through many mergers in the airline industry that I've been in. And um, in 1994 is when I went into church ministry and I pretty much was bivocational. I kept the two ministries pretty much, or the two, my vocation and my profession pretty much um, compartmentalized. You know, I was in the church on the weekends doing ministry there and I was a controller, you know, during the week doing what I do at U.S. Airways in prior to the merger with American. And that pretty much existed like that until 9-11. 9-11, I worked that day. It was a day like no other. And I heard God call me uh, on November or uh, September the 12th when I went into work after what we had done the day before. And I looked around that room and I saw the fear and anxiety in my coworkers' uh, faces that I'd never seen before. And I said, dear God, we need you here. And he goes, and I could hear a soft, still voice. So, well, that's why I placed you there. So from that moment forward, I became came to work. Um, as an Anglican priest, I came from a different denomination, but I am an Anglican priest in the Anglican Church of North America here now. And uh, again, coming to my job after that in the flight control center, primarily as a priest who was also uh, in my profession was a flight controller. And um, I've remained in that role into and through the completion of the merger, which created the new American Airlines in 2013. It was completed in 2014 when we integrated the flight operations of those two large airlines to create the largest airline in the world, which is based in Dallas-Fort Worth. Prior to that, at that time, I was doing some chaplaincy work at the airport in Pittsburgh, which I enjoyed when I came down here and began working uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth. It was a natural um, integration to go to DFW and say, hey, look, here I am. I've been doing this. How can I help? Came put on the staff as a chaplain there, and two years later was asked to run the uh, or be become the director of that ministry, and I've been in that capacity ever since. It's been about just over five years now, or six years. I'm sorry. So that's kind of a really quick story on how I've got to where I'm at. But um, the uniqueness in what I do is obviously at DFW we we can say with great joy and not Texas pride because I'm not from Texas, but um, I'll grab a hold of what they like to take pride in, and that is the fact that we are the largest in the world at what we do. We've got five chapels at DFW and we have a staff of 28 chaplains and two full-time employees that um, do the ministry of presence at DFW and have for 45 years. In fact, we're celebrated our 45th year last year. So we're we're uh, proud of that and, uh, and we love what we do at DFW Airport. And it's been a natural also integration from what I do at American. Obviously at American Airlines, uh, I had a chaplaincy role kind of evolve around me beginning at 9-11. And so for many years now, I have been utilized as primarily as a cha the chaplain, in fact, to American Airlines to do ministry all around our, our company, uh, both corporately and if needed. Um, I have a travel kit every day when I go to work. And if when I go to work to sit down and run an airline and they need me somewhere else in the world to do ministry for one of our employees or someone's connected to American, I'm on the next flight to go there. 
so it's been an interesting, quite an enjoyable um, uh, journey for, for me for, for being able to give back into the industry that I've been in all my life. And I truly feel like this industry has been my family all of my life. So it's been really a joy to be able to give back in a way that um, no one was was able to give back to it. And, and so I feel blessed for that and uh, blessed to be on this call and just to um, offer what I can to share what I've experienced to help others and encourage them to come into this space. Thank you very much, Greg. Marika, let's hear, let's hear from you as well. Yes, thank you so much, Michael. I'm sorry um, to all of you. I just happened to uh, decorate a Christmas tree last night and um, there was some of those glitters that were coming into my eyes. So I had to see the doctor this afternoon and my eye will stay covered till tomorrow morning. So you see me in a very special occasion. Oh, um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm working at Schiphol uh, as an airport chaplain since uh, 2015, so it's been seven years now. Um, also, for me, it is due to my biography that I have, you know, um, arrived at Schiphol and uh, started work there seven years ago. Um, I've been a nurse in the past, uh, then I um, studied theology and um, I served a local congregation in the Netherlands. And then after we were sent uh, two times abroad, uh, my husband is working for a large uh, company. And um, so I was also there um, to do theological education and um, teach in schools and um, work in women's groups. And then we got back in 2007, I served a local congregation again in the Netherlands. And then um, I was asked to come to Schiphol. Um, what does an airport chaplain do actually? Yeah, already Greg and Jonathan have explained to you a little bit about it. Uh, what we mainly do in Amsterdam is that we run a multi-faith uh, meditation center, which is like one place in the airport where uh, people of different faiths come um, to pray, they come to meditate, uh, they come to find a moment of peace in, in quiet uh, when it's very busy. Um, we run this place with 25 volunteers, and uh, then the chaplains, our team um, is, we have three airport chaplains at the moment. Uh, we celebrate the masses and the church services on Sunday, and we also, yeah, uh, have emergency response. So when people come into a severe crisis, when something is happening, which is very sad and very tragic, we will be there. The airport calls us in, like, Greg, maybe you have also called in airport chaplains uh, as a controller. Um, this morning, for example, uh, there was a lady, um, she um, flew out of Amsterdam and she knows that her son is going to pass away soon. So she went there together with uh, her grandson who was also accompanying her. And she very much wanted to come to the meditation center to have a moment of reflection. Uh, she lit a candle, electric, of course, because there's no open fire uh, allowed anymore since long time ago at the airports. And um, so then she find a really some peace and she could enter the plane quite peacefully together with her grandson. I think um, that's mainly a little bit short my biography and some of the work that we do. Hmm. That's really interesting. And I think all three of you have plenty of those stories of, of people that are coming through the airport, you know, a lot of them are just they're on business or whatever, and it's a normal thing. But some of them are traveling for really uh, life changing and, and negative reasons. Um, a lot of those stories uh, as well. 
I do want to mention to everyone, we do have plenty of time for Q&A, so please do put those put those questions in the Q&A function or the chat, if you like, whatever. Uh, but a few things that occurred to me as, as we're talking, you know, you are, all three of you are working within basically a city, right? A, a greater or lesser city. Uh, and there's a lot going on in there. You've got an administration, you've got a police department, you've got the citizens, sort of the workers, you've got all kinds of people that are working in that in that city. What is the relationship between the sort of the, the chaplaincy body or the chaplaincy organization and the rest of the airport? Where do you fit in to that city is what I'm trying to get at. And that's, well, that's all three. I'd be happy to start that, um, I guess. I, I think that the same way as every city has churches and places of that they can go and, and, and worship or have quiet or have a place to reflect, we have that. We provide that. I mean, with five chapels, we have one at every terminal. But, but primarily, we, we provide this, the spiritual ministry of presence there. And, and, and to be quite honest with you, I think we're, we're spiritual first responders, no differently than the other first responders are there to deal with the challenges and the complexities of people's lives and travel. And let's face it, um, even prior to the pandemic, travel has always been a very stressful thing, but it went to a whole different height, you know, in the last two or three years. And so being able to be on the front line of that, many people in ministry weren't. So we had the rare opportunity to minister to airport employees, airline employees, first responders, and countless other people that weren't able to get any kind of ministry in their lives at all for two years because a lot of churches, synagogues, and mosques were shut down. So we were able to provide something extremely rare that we're used to providing. We provide in that space all the time. But during that time, the airlines kept flying. Now, it was a fraction of what we were flying. But I can tell you this. We measured the metrics at DFW Airport Chaplaincy. We did more ministry during two years of COVID than we did in 2019 prior to the pandemic. So the ministry we're doing was to a smaller number of people, but we were doing a lot more ministry. So it shows the need and how the needle moves to what's going on in our culture at the time or what's going on in our world at the time. And I think that that just reflects the fact that the airport is a city. It's a world to itself. It's a 24, 365 world to itself. And we're on the front line of that. And we we become that spiritual place for them to come to chapel masses, chapel services, and things like that, um, that to integrate them and to join them where they are on their, in their journey, in, journey in life. One of Americans' favorite taglines that we use as our motto is caring for others on life's journey. And I think that probably that better describes what we do as chaplains than anything I've ever heard. We're there to care for people on life's journey. And, and that can come in all kinds of ways. It can be to rejoice with them, but it can also be in the valley with them as they're going to, to be with loved ones that are after a loss or, or with the military. We do 130 times a year. We do dignified transfers on the ramp at DFW. There's a lot of military traffic through DFW because it's in the middle of the United States. So it gets a lot of military remains coming through. And we do 130 of those a year. That's a lot of dignified transfer with with the military and their families on the ramp at DFW, and we're at all of them. So it's it's very diverse. It's uh, it's always fluid. It's never the same every day, but it's also the richest ministry I've ever experienced. And I've been in parish ministry for 30 years, and I've never seen anything that compares with the, the gratitude and the sincerity of the thanks that people were, 
will display before you when you have met them in that journey and they didn't know you were going to be there. Mm-hmm. It's the best sermon illustration you'll ever see because the best sermon you'll ever hear is the one you see. And we're able to flesh that out every single day, which is really an enjoyable thing to be a part of. You know, as as you mentioned, this is, in, in some ways, airports are totally set apart. It's just so many things are different there, but you are in a context. You're in Dallas and you're, you know, your staff come from Dallas or the area. Uh, a lot of the people are originating their flights from there or whatever. So I'm, I'm imagining, and maybe I'm wrong. And if, if I'm wrong, then please do correct me. But the culture must be different in my mind at Gatwick and Schiphol. Um, you know, the, the, the expectations and, and what the airport itself the administration understands you to be doing. Is that true? Jonathan? Oh, yeah. Because each airport runs in a different way. The common ethos, obviously, if we live in such a multi-faith world, is that most chaplains and chaplaincy for leaders want to make it a multi-faith chapel and the multi-faith chaplaincy by having members of other faiths and uh, uh, other religions. So that can be integrated very easily, or it could be blocked by the airport owners. Mm. Now, it's all down to the owners of the airport as to how they integrate a chapel uh, in the vicinity. Some chapel uh, airports can't get chapels, what we call airside, post-security. Mm. Well, when the Muslims go on Hajj, and then they come to the chapels to pray and they change into their religious pilgrimage clothes, Um, then they still have to go through from Gatwick security. Well, they might come in in contact with a police dog and then they're richly unpure. So my focus in all the years has to be getting a worship space, not necessarily a chapel, but some religious space airside. And that's been my goal, but it's not been possible because when you're airside, post-security, that's retail. And retail brings in the money to keep the airport going. And in England, we have probably the same as most sort of um, large countries where they have many airports and chaplaincies. It depends totally on who funds the chaplaincy. Now, for Gatwick, we're actually um, not so unusual in in Great Britain, but we have never been paid a salary by the airport company. Mm. We are all religious secondments to the airport. And so that's a really big package. It's it's the house. It's the 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 not just the salary. It's the pension the water rates, the council tax, that's paid for by the Church of England, but my working life is totally at Gatwick. But I'm actually now going to be retiring, and now the shift has been that they've got to think, how much are we gonna put into the chaplaincy and to pay for somebody to come in and to be a real leader, a lead chaplain, with backing from the airport company. I'm very, very lucky in the fact that I've worked alongside the CEO of Gatwick Airport uh, when uh, it was, um, I think, BAA, we were, he came into, or did he not? No, it was Froville. He came in with Froville, a Spanish company, and then 
they were we were sold to Vinci or Vinci, which is a French organization. And Stuart has moved along with them. Uh, and so I've been lucky that if I need anything, I could go and see the CEO. And just very quickly, don't want to hog any time, but one of the questions was the percentage of time working with um, staff or passengers. For myself as the lead, I think it's 80% with staff and 20% with passengers, mostly in crisis. Um, so for me, I'm integrated with the police uh, as a police chaplain, so regularly in the police, police station, uh, adopted by the firemen in a fire and the fire station, which is actually post security in the middle of the air, air, airport on the, the, the runway. And Marika, is the, is the situation terribly different in Amsterdam? Mm, yes, in some respects, it's different. Um, I think it's very fundamental, uh, like the other said, if your um, prayer rooms or your chaplains, uh, your chapels, whatever, are located airside or landside. That's a, a, a huge difference. So who can have access, um, which, is, which are the people that can get there. So that's very fundamental. In Amsterdam, uh, we don't have a chapel or a mosque or a synagogue uh, landside. We have it airside, which means that we see mainly passengers and staff that comes to pray that is working airside. Um, then I think uh, what also uh, is important in Schiphol is that uh, the chaplaincy is like a safe haven. Uh, we are like not part of the organization. We are a, um, a foundation uh, which gets its funds from Schiphol both the churches so we have like a, um, a mixed model um, and this means that the churches uh, they have um, yeah a, a word of say they, they can have influence but also um, Schiphol is like the main requester uh, to us uh, and they provide us uh, many um, also hardware and, and, and rooms etc offices um, so I think that's important and then um, yeah, we are quite independent. I'm always happy that I can move on two legs. So there is one leg, which is, is the airport, but the other leg is the church. And this makes us really um, yeah, have a lot of autonomy. Uh, we ha also have our, our responsibility. And uh, this means that we are also sometimes neutral or not too involved, not too much part of it. Um, and I appreciate that a lot. Uh, and then... Um, yeah, I think that's that's mainly the, the, the biggest point I want to make. Yeah, I think I would add that uh, one thing I would add at, at DFW, um, we do have chapels, both airside and landside and um, and DFW Airport is our largest um, contributor. I mean, we're really their, you know, their ministry. Uh, they're the primary provider of our resources that runs our budget. And we have a large budget that's larger than a lot of the churches I've served. Um, but the diocese that I do serve, and obviously I serve a parish and have for many, many years, um, does support us. It is an outreach ministry of uh, the diocese that I serve in, in Fort Worth. Um, so there's multiple giving streams, but we do have the opportunity of providing ministry on both air and land side. Now, we don't do any of our um, um, scheduled services that we, that we do in, in the chapel. Uh, anywhere except on the air side because it's it's protected there. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's on the protected side of security. So primarily what we're doing um, our scheduled services for is uh, for employees and for travelers. And that's primarily what our audience is in our 
primary in our main chapel that is um, at our international concourse. And, and we're blessed there as, as well to have uh, DFW Airport when, when they built the, the D chapel, which we've been in for, it's been consecrated five years now, um, did provide ablution stations at that, at that chapel. So our Muslims do have the opportunity to have ablution, uh, you know, before their June services on Friday. And, and we have that just at the one main chapel, which is the largest chapel we have, and it'll seat a large number of folks. So that's where we do our primary services at. The other chapels we do occasional services at, and we will actually do one or two from time to time, a special service, um, even on the, um, the land side, if we're going to have something that's done for like an employee or something like that, like a, a wedding or some special type service like that, that they're going to have people that come to the event that aren't going to be able to go through security because they're not traveling. So we've utilized both the air and land, but primarily everything we do is on the air side. And, um, and that's obviously for security purposes. You know, hearing these details, where is the chapel located and where does the funding come from and, and all of that sort of stuff? I, I know that that can seem really bureaucratic and, and dry. You know, why does it matter? But all of all the examples that all three of you have just given indicate that those are extremely important questions because they get to the heart of how do we serve people. Whether the chapel is on the land side or the air side makes a huge difference for the reason that Jonathan just said. There are passengers coming through that if they don't have something on the air side, they've got a big problem for one reason or another. Um, and, and so the work that you're doing is addressing that uh, directly to make sure that you are, you know, accompanying people who might not ever actually come to seek out your your services, but you're still accompanying them, uh, getting them through there. Uh, there are a, 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 a great many questions, so I, I want to answer as many of those as possible. But while we're on this subject of kind of structure and how things were set up, there was a question about if there is an airport that does not have a chaplaincy or a well-established chaplaincy or whatever, how might a chaplain go about making the case for that work? If I'm an enterprising chaplain and I want to start one, how would I do that? That's a great question. I forget who answered it, but it's a good question. I think it's very important to make sure that you're seen as much as you can when you walk around the airport. Again, oh. with the pass, we all wear a pass. It's on our body. It has to be seen. It's visible. I was a bit... Um, put a, bat, a bit of ash when I first went up there. I wasn't used to looking at people's chests and sometimes could be awkward, but there is a name, or we in the Chapman's had our names put on them. So when I see somebody with a, a pass, an airport worker, hello, good morning, afternoon, hi, how are you doing? It's, it's visiting, being visual, and that's what gets you around. It's trying to go to the doorkeeper, not necessarily the CEO, um, yes, it's great if you can talk to somebody at that level, but you want somebody who's like a mover and a shaker, a really good PA. Once you, you, you make friends with a good PA, they'll help you and, and you go to them for, for some help. Um, the uh, ID centre, that's another great place to make friends with because they issue all the passes to everybody. They know what's going on and they could... Um, you know, might refer you to somebody. Uh, in the past, we've had actually sort of a doctor and some nurses working from the local um, NHS outside working in the airport. 
And then when the, the doctor, lovely, lovely Jewish lady, went to um, Border Force uh, Detention Center and there was somebody who wanted to talk to a chaplain, she could then come back to me because she knew me. I'd gone out of my way to visit the health center. It's, it's getting self-known. Go, I mean, not everybody can go to the, um, the control tower and meet, meet the, uh, it, it's, it's always been a restricted area. But, right. you know, once you visit, 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 and you're persistent and you've got a nice smiley face, it's, it's, it's good if you can, you know, people can laugh at you or smile with you, but you just got to, you've got to get in there. But the, we have an international association of civil aviation chaplains who meet regularly for, I think it's like 55 years now. That's, that's the one. And we came to Dallas and I worked with D.D. Hayes then. I wasn't the president when we came to Dallas, but Marika gave a wonderful, wonderful um, conference in Amsterdam. I can't remember how many years ago, but we had a lovely time with Marika. Uh, and it's by going and seeing and, and talking uh, that we get some training. Yeah, we'd like to host that again before I retire, I hope. I'd like to, I'd like to host that once again here. Um, I'm sure he would be very, very pleased. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. sure he would. I'm sure it, it, he would as it, long as I'll lift it. <laughs> that's right. With us in London, London Heathrow this year. So I missed but, you. I wished I could have been there. I just I could not break away from the busyness of what we had going on at American at that time. But in the in the that, reset mode. <laughs> that'll be my last one. But it was lovely to be a, in the UK and host it. Sure, absolutely. But, um, yeah, I, I think you make a great point, um, Jonathan. It's you have to be visible. You, we need to bring voice and visibility to what we do. And, and we were a, a blazer at DFW Airport. It's a Navy blazer and it's got the international, this logo, which others, you know, that use around the world, but that is what's on a lot of our chaplains uh, on their blazer on a lot of guys wear the vest and, and it makes us very visible in the airport. So uh, it, it's, you've got to be able to be seen and, and be where people are because that's where ministry happens. And, um, and so that's a critically important point. Marika, I think you wanted to contribute there. Yeah, um, because I have an example of Eindhoven, which is a very small airport, but it was the airport where where the um, yeah the, the 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 bodies of the people were uh, repatriated after the MH17 disaster, and um, I have a colleague there because I think also Michael, you uh, asked us if we how the work starts in the beginning uh, anyhow, not only to be visible at the airport, but um, so um, there was a, a colleague of mine, she started short before the MH17 disaster, uh, half a year before, and she started to visit because it's public space. So she uh, talked to passengers there and then she also uh, found it very necessary that there was going to be like a chapel or a meditation room. So she has uh, contacted one of the managers and she kept on, you know, very patiently, very kind. Uh, yeah, uh, making uh, contact with uh, with him. And then uh, they decided to start off the room. And then um, it was a very um, good venue because when uh, people came to, you know, to pay respect uh, to the bodies that re returned and who were mourning and who wanted to um, share their condolences, uh, there was a venue where they could go to. So I think this also yeah, can become a strong motivation to bring it to uh, attention of, of airport uh, managers. Yeah, just the awareness 
how very important it is if there's you know some place where people cannot only do their religious duties uh, on a daily basis but also yeah as a place where people can gather um as yeah a venue for mourning or for getting together yeah. we have had people um lovely susanna from milwaukee she came to the the international association um i think when we went to the states i think it may have been phoenix and she was starting up a completely new chaplaincy from the prayer room and the logo that greg showed the international association one on the international association's website there are training documents and documents that would assist anybody with a, in a broad air outline um, as to what the best way is to approach an airport company uh, and and get sort of um, not just the sponsorship but to get the interest when you can prove to a head of station that when you went to the plane door and spoke to not just the grieving passenger uh, who'd lost a loved one who died on the flight can be quite common but you actually went or, or allowed, were allowed into the plane to talk to the hostesses and, and the air crew who actually dealt with that because I found it with Gatwick it's very difficult um, because the crew lands they go through then they may be bused to a hotel or they land they're through and they're gone so you have to try and engage with all the airlines to give your, you know, your services so that they know that if there is something that happens, they can always call on the chaplain. Yeah, we, at DFW, I mean, I think that, I mean, obviously American is the largest carrier in DFW, but all the airlines utilize our team here. I mean, um, they, everyone in that airport knows that we're a ministry of presence to every airline, every vendor, every uh, business that's that's doing business at DFW Airport. And we do a lot of ministry across all those different airlines and across all those different vendors uh, at DFW Airport. And also, like I said, the first responders, police, fire, um, the, the the corporate staff at DFW Airport. Um, and, and like I said, I integrate that on the other side of the fence corporately into American Airlines. Um, so it's it's utilized by everyone of that utilizes that airport. And um, it's a broad a ministry that, that covers a lot of different uh, people in a lot of different capacities in that in airline industry through an, in an airport. Now, all of you have described various situations where you end up involved, not by default, but by local custom or whatever. It's, you know, you, you're a part of this, whether it's the dignified transfer or there is some sort of trauma or whatever. But Greg has a really interesting question. If I'm a passenger, if I'm coming through the airport, and I decide I need a chaplain or I need someone or whatever, how do they find you? And how does that interaction go when they come to you and not the other way around? It's well, that, I think with the visiting, once you get known as a person, they will actually find out. Now, most airports have um, a heartbeat hub office where most things are directed from the terminals uh, and the terminal managers will work from there. And they have a list, because we all have a phone, I've got one here, we're on call 24-7. So if anybody asks the airline staff, um, if you've gone round and seen or been seen, they'll think, oh yes, that was a bloke who looked like a vicar. We would get hold of him. Uh, and the benefit for us is we are a multi-faith team. So I have a Muslim colleague who actually I engaged and a very young, very sprightly, very keen 
Muslim man of 25 when he first came to join us and was um, when we talked through with him what the role would um, combine, it's not just your Muslim brothers and sisters, it's a Sikh lady with a son who needs help. It could be, you know, anybody, a Frenchman, a uh, French lady who are, are, you know, Hindu, but you are the chaplaincy. You just happen to be a Muslim working at that time. And when I was president of the International Association, I used to end my letters with the greetings, not just peace be with you, assalamu alaikum, namaste, uh, I think the Sikh is satatriya kal. So if you see somebody and you can know what their religion is, you give them that greeting and that makes you accessible. And we as the, uh, most chaplaincies around the world seek to have colleagues of other faiths. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. I, I think that um, I, I like to, just mention one thing I think that I, I see a change in the landscape on the way this um, this is going to work going forward for us and what we do and what we have dedicated our lives to doing and and this came about during COVID for me personally I had a, a parishioner who was um, he had his uh, mother who's dying in a nursing home at the time and of course it was in their season when we couldn't get into nursing homes and I got a call late one Sunday evening after a long day and he called me and said, well, his mother was at the end of life. And I've been ministering to her for months every, you know, every week, taking her communion. And she was at the end of life and they wouldn't let me in. And I asked him to see if he could get a nurse that could get a, a, a phone in front of her. And I would do the last rites and did that. She was semi-conscious. And an hour and a half later, I felt very dejected by it. I thought, my goodness, I wanted to be there for her, but could not. And um and the phone rang, uh, you know, a couple hours later or so. And he called me and goes, well, my mom passed. I said, well, gosh, I'm so sorry, man. I wanted to be there. And it just breaks my heart that I couldn't. He goes, oh, no, well, let me tell you. And he said, well, when you started speaking and the nurse had a phone in front of my mother, even though she was semi-conscious, the whole countenance of her face changed. And in that moment in time, she knew what was going on at that moment. And it was a, it was a revelation for me because I realized, and I knew this, but sometimes we need to be reminded of this, that what we do does transcend time and space. And I realized in that moment that the delivery uh, through a phone or through something like that could be a way that we were going to probably have to do this. And it was not anywhere near the last time I did that through that whole two-year season. But it did inspire me to go to work with a team that has designed a, an app that we have um that we've launched at dfw airport in fact it's in the complete it's finished now but i've got to wait till it's completed on one of the other platforms it's going to live on both um, android and iphone app, uh, platforms and it's a beautiful app concept that will work off a qr code so if, at dfw we've got really like five airports connected by a train system so it's very large and i could have a chaplain over on b doing ministry for someone but a need comes up over on C or A or a different concourse. Well, with this app, and we're going to have this QR code in our chapels, it'll give travelers the opportunity to scan that QR code with their phone and connect instantly with the chaplain on duty. So this is going to really change the landscape, and in my opinion, um, of the way airport chaplaincy works. Because if you've got a single chaplain there, and I've got multiple chaplains on duty at a time, but if you've only got one and you're over here doing ministry with an employee or something like that, and all of a sudden there's a passenger need at a different gate, this gives them the opportunity to instantly get, get a hold of you and bring you to where the ministry is needed. And so I truly see this as the game changer in the future of what we do.
and it's nothing new. I mean, there are organizations that have been using this, but it hasn't really landed in our world. But what a better world for it to live in because we're doing, dealing with such a diverse call for ministry in airport settings. And so I think this is really, we're excited about this. We have it rolled out right now, but I don't want to release it until it's on both platforms and it's supposed to be ready next week. But we're the, you know, the launch customer with this. And I think it's going to be something that's going to really remarkably change the landscape of what we love and what we love to do by broadening our presence and our footprint for where we can deliver ministry in an airport setting. I'm excited about it. I think it's the, 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 the future of what we're doing. If I may add a little, I'm, I'm really very interested uh, about this app, Greg. I think it's going to be very, very important. Um, we have uh, something also uh, very practical. Um, it's just a brochure, which is uh, everywhere around the airport, which tells what we're doing. So it's mainly about the center and also about the help that we do. Um, so that's also uh, one of the opportunities that the airport gives us as well. So sometimes they can share things with their social media or their website. And uh, yeah, it's good to have uh, uh, many of those means available. And we, we are very creative, uh, I, I hear. <laughs> Sorry, Michael, you're muted. Greg, what I say right before the webinar, I'm on Zoom all day and I still haven't figured out how to do this. So one of these days I'll get there. Um, but we were talking before the webinar about uh, training and how, you know, a lot of chaplains go through CPE or something in a healthcare setting, uh, which is not the same as what you're doing there. There's some overlap, but not entirely. Um, so let's say that I'm either a chaplain that's already working somewhere else, or maybe I'm a, a, in divinity school or whatever, and I'm interested in this work. How would I go about training to do this kind of work, given the fact that there are no programs in airport chaplaincy, to my knowledge? Uh, but if I am interested in this work, what's the next well, step that I could take as a chaplain? Well, I'm working to change that. <laughs> Among all the other hats that I have on, we are working in that arena as well, and 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 you make you bring up a great point. We would I would love to see a CPE certified program, accredited program that would find a way to deliver the type of training which is uniquely different to what we do, uh, other than hospice and hospital ministry, which is where probably all of us on this call got our CPE certifications from. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it is a completely different landscape in ministry. And we're working on that right now, working with organizations to try to come up. We've got a really good internship program at DFW. We do a lot of training out there. All of our chaplains come to us. A lot of them come from military backgrounds, so they're almost plug and play. But a lot of them come from the church world, too. And those folks in the church world really and truly have not been trained really in chaplaincy ministry. They're two different ministries. And so we're working. We've got a program that we've put together, an internship program at DFW Airport that we bring our new people into. And they walk and they shadow a chaplain through that journey. But I'm looking at a, a really a more robust program than that. And that would be a, an accredited CPE program that right. I'm working with. On, on what, what is CPE? I don't know what this is. Okay, it's, it's clinical pastoral experience. So in other words, and I don't know, I mean, maybe it's different in England, but when and we, anyone yeah. goes through a, you know, a master's of divinity program or divinity program here and is brought into the church world, they're going to give you some level of CPE training. And primarily that lives in either a hospital setting or a hospice setting, because that's where most 
chaplains are serving, at least in the in the states here, in chaplaincy ministry. Um, so they get training on how you do ministry in a hospital uh, with people nearing the end of life or at people that are, you know, in a, um, a hospice situation like that. But they don't really get training on how do you deal with people in an airport setting, which is like in, in you know, a whole different world than a hospital setting. How do you meet them in the journey and best minister them? What do you say? And more importantly, what do you not say? So it's a training program that's going to be robustly put together. And there's only a couple of universities that really offer good chaplaincy programs in, in the states anyway. There's a couple of universities and seminaries that provide that. And the military has a program. But everyone in the military has to come in through an endorsement through an ecclesiastical body, or they have to have an endorsement through some other means to get into the chaplaincy program in the military. And then the military trains them up. And that makes them very easy for us to integrate to what we do in the airport or easier. But we're looking for something that would really develop this out. And I've, every year for the last five years now, I've taken the kid is in seminary. I bring him in to me for the summer. You give him some training in a ministry that he's never seen. You know, it may it may look like, you know, church in the box, so to speak. You set up a chapel mass or you set up a prayer service, but also to shadow someone of just walking in the airport and engaging people in life and meeting them, whether an employee or a traveler who is on a journey in life. And how do you engage them in ministry? And how do you how do you do that? And so it's really a walk beside and walk along with to try to give someone some exposure to that. And obviously some people are really gifted at it and good at it and really enjoy doing it. And some of them don't. Some like to live in the, you know, in the walls of the church and do their ministry there. And that's beautiful. But some are called to do what we do. And I think that everyone on this call is an engaging type person. That kind of DNA or that kind of person is the one that, you know, is probably going to be the most effective when you're going to be dealing with people from every walk of life, from every faith. And all of us as chaplains know that, you know, something in a moment of need, they don't care if I'm a, a, a priest. I'm just a person who's going to model love of what I believe in my faith to another human being in need. And that's just bringing love and compassion into a moment that people need it. And they don't, you know, I minister to Muslims and Jewish people and vice versa. I've had people minister to me in my life that were not from my denomination or my my tribe or, you know, or, or something that I believe in in theology. But you know what? In the moment of need, we need that. And so getting people trained and, and really brought into that environment to where they can be really hands-on with it and find out if it's what they even want to do. You know, is that what they're yeah. comfortable doing? It's, it's so different in different countries. Um, I'm sure I remember a colleague, Charlotte, um, before she was ordained, actually, um, in Newcastle Airport, one of the smaller ones up north. Um, she did a program through Cardiff University. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a diploma in the ministerial theology for chaplaincy or whether it was a, a chaplaincy degree. But I know that we have universities in England that do uh, offer that. We do too, yeah. And, uh, and so they, anybody can look to go through there. And they'll, you know, if that's, if people of any face can go and do that. There originally, a lot of chaplaincies started in the industrial mission field of all the, the coal mines and, and factory works in Lancashire. And that's where a lot of the, the, the chaplains in the UK started. So the Northern Industrial Mission um, companies and associations would put on training uh, programs. I went through 
one of the Industrial Midland Associations with Sheffield um, because I happened to go on my first placement. Um, but they, and uh, somebody also asked a, chap, uh, a question about what about people who aren't ordained? Well, I know in Sheffield that industrial mission, that the actual context of the courses were for anybody uh, to, to, to get a qualification because it is distinctly different. Somebody asked the question, but what's the difference between hospital chaplaincy and airport chaplaincy? Way different. Yeah, and you're yeah. there working alongside your own colleagues. And for us in the UK, usually the hospital pays the chaplain. And so it's on, on more on the regulated administrative level. Whereas in the airport, you see, we've had chaplains for 20, well, yes, coming up 50 years, but we've all come in paid for by our own denomination. And your training is what you, you, you seek out yourself through your own denomination. I, would, I, I, I agree. And I, I mean, I came in the same way you did. And, and most of us did, I think. Our chaplains now, we do, we pay them a stipend at DFW Airport. And, and they've all been, you know, obviously come through some denominational background here. But we do pay our, our guys a stipend. Which makes it a different level, different concept. And some of the smaller chaplaincies uh, in the UK, there may be only two or three chaplains, or they can only go in once a week. So then, and then, you know, the money just isn't there. And it's very difficult to get the financial backing to make the chaplaincy work. So, you know, with your um, paid employees, obviously there's an interview structure before mm -hmm. you take on well you see in our airport we've never had that we have we've spoken to people and found out you know are they really as nice as they seem or is there a hidden have they got a hidden agenda but ultimately we work with who we're given yeah well i mean i i, I mean i think we do in, in a sense as well and our stipend is a very minimal um you know it's it, it's paying for your gas for the most part it's oh, it's not any kind of it sound you cannot live on it. I promise you that these people are all being paid by an ecclesiastical body of a church or some denomination or, or faith group, you know, that's kind of, you know, or they work in the secular world or something else like that, but they've got degrees in ministry or, you know, or something like that. But it's something really to just to just do and bless them really for their time. And it's, you know, it's a minimal amount. We work we're we do four to five hour shifts when a guy's on or a person's on duty there. So, you know, it's um, it's something just to bless them for their time, just very minimally. And uh, just sort of the, a last point here as we're wrapping up, just drawing out some of the cultural differences. Marika, what does the, you know, for, for folks that are coming in to do this work now, you mentioned some of your own background, but what kind of background and training are kind of the next generation of chaplains doing this work? What do they bring to you at your airport? Um, the next generations of airport chaplains, you mean, uh, Michael? Um, I think it's very important to be, well, to be aware of your own tradition. I think it's not uh, required to, 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 to forget about your own tradition, uh, in my opinion, at least. Um, so to be aware of your own background, uh, the rituals, the things uh, that are important to yourself, uh, the worldview, and at the same time to be very, very sensitive, uh, very um, modest also, and um, tolerating to, to other worldviews. I think mm. the, um, 
we need a lot of this sensitivity and it's not only in airport chaplaincy but i think in my opinion it, it needs to be done everywhere in in our societies just to be curious um into to be interested in the other person and to yeah to to get to know each other um and the airport gives a huge opportunity to get to know people and just to be curious and interested and to learn i've learned a lot i've learned so much over the past years so i hope the future chaplains will be sensitive but also be aware of, of what they bring in themselves because you're not empty-handed yourself as well that's extremely important i would so much agree with that because it's an educational process when you take people who've only lived in one denominational or one you know faith background they need to be acutely aware of the sensitivity of people of other faith they need to know their yep. dietary needs they know, need to know their holy days they need to know the things that are truly important to them at the foundation of who those people are and that's where the difference is and that's where the training comes in that needs to be because you just don't come into this knowing that unless you came from a, a military background where you were dealing with a bunch of people from vastly different walks of life but if you're coming in from a church or from a one faith background that's something that's got to be brought into your into your scope to the of the importance of that because it's a very global setting that we work in in international airports it's extremely it's like nowhere else on earth in fact and so that is you make a really critically important point right there because that's something that people do need to be educated on that so they'll know what to say and what maybe more importantly not to say yes and when it's appropriate to give a handshake or when you don't touch another person <laughs> that's right important I want to thank all three of you for your time and your energy and your wisdom. I want to thank Interfaith Chaplaincy at DFW for their support of this webinar. And I want to encourage everyone. A, a few folks said, how would I get this started at you know the, an airport near me? Go check out the International Association of Civic Aviation Chaplains, IACAC. As Jonathan indicated, they have documentation on the website. Here are some things to think about. It's different for every airport, how you would go about establishing it, growing it, et cetera. It's different from place to place, but there are some general guidelines there. And then I'd also encourage you, you know, think about this work, or if you know someone who is thinking about chaplaincy, encourage them to think about this area. Uh, there are a lot of places to serve people, um, and airports are obviously a place where there are a lot of people in need of one sort or another. Uh, so there is always plenty of work to be done there. Thank you all for your time and for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Have a good afternoon, everyone. Bye-bye. God bless. Thank God you. bless. Bye. See you in the airport.